So friends, as I know you all know, Easter is not a day. We celebrate a whole Easter season for 50 days until Pentecost when we celebrate the birthday of the church. And we hear those stories in the Acts of the Apostles. But in many ways, the scripture that we have today, I think, is also one that can be considered to be the birthday of the church, an origin story of how it is that we all got here and what it is that we are doing when we come together in this place on Sunday morning. On Easter Sunday, we enjoyed John's account of the Easter story with Mary Magdalene first receiving the good news as she encounters Jesus in the garden, and she goes to tell the disciples that he is risen. It has been said that when She receives that good news during that time period from when she receives it until she shares it and the disciples all become apostles with this good news to share, that she is the entire church on earth for that time. And in the Gospel of Luke, we have a similar story. And somehow we mix all of these stories up together, all of the Gospel accounts. It reminds me of how sometimes... We, well, every year we dress children in pageant costumes and we retell the nativity story as though it is all one account instead of telling it differently. So shepherds cross paths with magi. It's beautiful and wonderful. I wouldn't have it any other way. But each gospel writer has a distinct story to tell. And this passage that we have today is Luke's distinct account of the events of the resurrection. What we will hear today, interesting since last week, it was a week after the events of the resurrection, the story of doubting Thomas happens a week later, but now we're back in time a week again. This is Easter Day, and this is Luke's unique telling of how these events happened. Let's listen together for the word of God. Now, on that same day, Easter, on that same day, two of them We're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in those days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things, of course, Good Friday things, the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
Do you hear? No one has yet seen the risen Christ. And here are these two on the road to Emmaus, not recognizing him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the things about himself in the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, but they urged him insistently, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven And their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing and our understanding of this holy word. The road to Emmaus is one of the favorite Bible stories for many Christians, but it seems to have a special place in the hearts of many pastors. And I wonder why that is. It could be perhaps that these are the words that we say most often outside of the Lord's Prayer, which of course we pray together every Sunday. Whenever we gather at the communion table, we recall this story. We pray that what happens at the table for us might be what has happened for these two, that our eyes may be opened and that we may recognize the risen Christ in the breaking of the bread. Are these words also very familiar for you and your heart because of our communion liturgy? Do they strike a familiar chord? And it could also be said that for pastors and for all deacons and for all people who are very committed and engaged in church life, as I know so many of us are, is that we experience a very strange blend here of host and guest, which leads us right to the heart of this story. Did you notice how Jesus switches places from stranger to guest to host? These two invite the stranger into their table, and it reminds us again that if we take the Gospel of Luke as a whole, it reminds us back to the beginning of the story when there was no room for Mary and Joseph, and Jesus was placed in a manger because there was no room for him, no room for him in the inn or a better translation, no place in a guest room for him. But here at the end of the story, They make room. They take the stranger on the road. They bring him in. And then Jesus goes from stranger to guest to host. He takes the bread, the role of the host, and he says the the prayer over it. He blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. And it's in that moment that their eyes are opened when he becomes the host. 
And as I look out into this room, I know there are so many of you who often step up and become the host in this place. We talk with new members, interestingly, last week and this week, we have had brand new members go from one side of the, the table being served the coffee, stepping up to host fellowship hour, and it is in that transformation here that we go from guest to host. We play the part of host, though, even though we know that it is God's welcome. When we say the welcome statement in the beginning of worship, we acknowledge that it is God's welcome to all of us that we offer. Have you ever heard a child ask if this is God's house? What do you say to them? I always love that. This past Thursday, I was talking to a church member on the sidelines of the soccer fields, and another third parent said to us, oh, are you talking about First Church? I grew up there, and he started sharing funny stories about when he was a child, and he said he believed that Jesus' bedroom was right through these doors, and if he came at the right time, he might find him there. Even when we play the host, this is the house of the Lord. And it occurs to me that Jesus could so easily, if they had not invited him in, if they had not made room to him, he, for him, he could so easily have just slipped right past them. But it is our role as people of faith to look for the person who needs welcome and hospitality and include them. Just as toward the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells everyone that whatever you have done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done for me. Whatever we do for one another who is in need, that is where we find Jesus. But there I could go on and on and on about all of the reasons it could be that this is such a beloved passage. For those among us who love a good theological discussion or debate, we love that this is what happens on the road. That even before they realize with whom they are speaking, Jesus shows up with his questions. And I wonder, did he do that sort of slow fake jog to catch up with them along the road coming seemingly out of nowhere and say to them, what, what you talking about? And they say, are you the only one who doesn't know these things? This is breaking news. It's what everyone's talking about. How do you not know? And he asks, what things? He's, is he playing, you know, playing along, playing dumb so that they will have to explain what has happened to him? And it's amazing that having asked these two questions, the passage itself raises so many questions. For one, having just explained to them everything from Moses through the prophets, explaining how it all fits together, well, can we hear that piece? But no, they don't record that. They, the gospel writer records the experience of hearing it. We're not our hearts burning within us. And I think it also might be so beloved because of this deep truth. Has this happened for you too? That it's only with hindsight. A faithful life so often happens in such a way that with hindsight you look back and you see things the way they unfolded. But in the moment, it's not so clear. If you were to ask somebody in a moment of crisis, where do you find God right now? They might look at you confused where do I find God? They might say, well, nowhere. They might say, I've been praying and praying and coming up empty. I'm looking, I'm searching for God, and I don't know where God is. These two say this heartbreaking line, we had hoped. They're no longer in a place of hope. They're in a place of despair. They are still in Good Friday. One commentator said that they might be feeling as though, well, if Jesus was the Savior, 
if Jesus was Messiah, I guess he wasn't a very good one. Because look at us now. Look at how raw and broken everything is. They're still in Good Friday. If Jesus came to restore and redeem and save, he failed. In a life of faith, so often we feel like we don't see where God is. But then ask somebody or ask yourself, look back on the struggles you have been through and wonder, where was God for you then? When you look back, you can see, oh yes, God was there with me. We can see things more clearly in hindsight. And as we move forward, it may happen again and again. So in any moment, we not, might not be able to put our finger right on where God is, but looking back, God was walking with us. Jesus has been with us all along. Which brings me to another reason many cherish the story, and it is that it happens on a road. Now, raise your hand for me if you take a walk to solve a problem. And why is that? Is it getting outdoors? Is it getting out of your head and into your body? Is it a change in perspective? But it is just a deep spiritual truth. And I wonder with these two, again, maybe they didn't set out on a walk thinking, ooh, that crucifixion was really hard. I know, I'll go for a walk and clear my head and feel better. No, certainly not. But it is still the way it unfolded that as they went on the road, that was there they encountered Jesus. I think perhaps they were running away. Maybe they were terrified. Maybe they thought they were escaping this horrible scene to protect themselves. There is a Latin phrase, solvitur ambulando, which means the problem is solved by walking. And it is so often true that our problems in life can be solved by walking. And there is also a very funny mathematical problem. Do we have any mathematicians here? I know we have many educators. It's called Zeno's Paradox. It is true that if you have a distance to go, before you get to the end, you will have first gone halfway. Is that not true? But as you stand at the halfway point before you get to the end, you have to go halfway again and again and again. And as long as you are halfing the distance on your way, you will never get there. Doesn't that seem to be mathematically true? And yet, you could sit there puzzling and puzzling with a professor and chalk and chalkboard getting stuck in your own head. And yet, all you need to do is choose the distance the back of the room, stand up and walk to the edge of the room, put your hand on the wall, and aha, the problem has been solved by walking. And I think this happens so often in our lives too, that we can be stuck. We can be stuck in Good Friday. We can be stuck in Holy Saturday. We can get stuck in our own heads, thinking that the problems we are facing are insurmountable. How will we ever get through? How will we ever get beyond? And yet, if we get up and begin we will find eventually that our problem has been solved in the walking. And again, question after question with this passage, and we don't have many answers. Why is it that their eyes were kept from recognizing him? And how did he look? How was it that he vanished from their sight as soon as they realized it was him? How is it that having found safety in this room and sharing a meal because it was too late to continue on their journey, suddenly they're rushing back? Is it Midnight, as they race back through those dangerous city streets in Jerusalem to find 
the rest of their friends? So many questions that we have. And then I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about, in addition to all of this richness that we've heard, the walk and the talk and the meal and the revelation and the surprise and from stranger to guest to host, this beautiful piece, these four verbs that I think are one of the main reasons people love this so much, And this comes from Henry Nouwen, who I know many of you will be familiar with, the author of the concept and the book, The Wounded Healer, who explains that what we find in this passage are these four verbs, taken, blessed, broken, and given. And it could be this four-part formula that Jesus takes and blesses, breaks, and gives the bread We also hear these same words in the institution of the Lord's Supper and when Jesus feeds the 5,000, but here at this table. It would seem to anyone from outside that all that happens in the story is a walk, a meal, and a walk, but instead everything is changed. Easter happens in this four-part series, taken, blessed, broken, and given. Here are people who are brokenhearted, thinking they have chosen the wrong Messiah. The ride with Jesus is over. They have lost their call, their purpose, their mission, their vision. They're people who say, we had hoped. People who do not know what they will do next. Hope is gone. They are in a place of heartache. And they recognize Jesus when he takes blesses breaks, and gives the bread. And what Henry Nouwen explains to us is that we are just like the bread. We are people who have been taken by God. Just as Lily was baptized today, taken and named and claimed, we are taken by God, and we are blessed. We could sit here for the rest of the week pondering all of the ways that God has so richly blessed us. But then we are broken and we can't deny that there are places in the world that we wish were different. We might wish we were different. We might look at our own state and just be dumbfounded at all of the ways that we and the world feel broken. And we might wonder, how is it that this is good news? How is this good? Taken, blessed, broken, and then given. But this is the way that we find that Jesus, that God, works in the world. And this is how that this cycle continues in the way that you end up, just like these two, encountering Jesus in your own brokenness, realizing that Jesus is among you, and what they do, what they are compelled to do, is rush right back to the others and share with them their experience. It is amazing to me that this is so often how it happens. There's a cliche, if you were to ask any sports medicine doctor how they came to their profession, they would tell you about their sports injury, who it was who healed them, and how they felt compelled to heal others out of their own experience. And that's just the most obvious and most literal. I'm sure you have places in your life 
where you have felt broken and healed and out of that brokenness have felt compelled to go out to others and share with them through your own vulnerability to show them your woundedness and to offer them the secret of how it is that you found healing. This is what Jesus has done on the cross, shown us brokenness, but then come to his friends so that in a shared broken state, they might find healing together. This last phrase, given, it is in the giving, in the coming together as a community that God has called the church together so that we don't leave people to suffer alone in that state of hopelessness and brokenness, that we can find ways to offer our own scars to others that they might find healing from them. So the cycle taken, blessed, broken, and given, begins all over again in this life of faith, that others find that they have gone from stranger to guest to host, and they have become enfolded into this process, this ongoing sacramental process of moving from hurting and heartbreak into healing and wholeness. And this is why it is good news, because God is always seeking after each and every one of us that we might all work together to heal the world. Kim Feeney shared this bit of wisdom that she found. That hurt people hurt people. Yes, have you heard that? But fortunately, free people free people. Safe people shelter others. Enlightened people illuminate others. And love always wins. This is the liberating call of the Christian community, that we can go and find one another, even if we are like the bread broken and the cup outpoured, that we can take that and give it away, that we can be blessed and broken and give it away and continue this cycle of being good news for God's beloved world. May it be so.